0: One of the most enduring images from ancient literature is Odysseus lashed to the mast. The, uh, the great Greek hero had been warned about the sirens. The sirens were, uh, in case you don't know the story, they were a bu- group of beautiful wicked creatures who lured ships to their doom on a rocky island. They lured the sailors by their song, uh, which, by the way, had a promise of being able to reveal the future enchanted by the magical siren song, ship after ship went to its doom. And in the Odyssey, uh, the poet Homer's wonderful book, he describes how Odysseus and his crew are sailing within reach of the siren song. If if Homer had been named Daryl Hall and John Oates, he would have titled Book 12, uh, Man-eater. That's what he would have called that part of the book. He's a man-eater, watch out. That's, That's what it's all about. But Odysseus had been warned about the sirens, so he had all the men in his ship stuff their ears with beeswax. Really, really thick, kneaded it up, put it in their ears so they couldn't hear. That way they wouldn't lose their reason and steer the ship onto the rocks. Just for experience sake, Odysseus wanted to hear the song. Yet he didn't want to foolishly succumb. So what he did was he had his men lash him to the mast. That way he could hear the temptation, but he couldn't get free to drive the ship off course. Here's his instruction to the crew. This is from book 12 of the Odyssey, subtitled Maneater. Odysseus says, You must bind me with tight chafing ropes so I cannot move a muscle bound to the spot, erect at the mast block, lashed by the ropes to the mast. And if I plead, commanding you to set me free, then lash me faster. Rope on, pressing rope, close quote. And that's just how it plays out. The men ignore Odysseus' ravings. Homer says he tried to get them to change with his brow. They couldn't hear him, so he used his brow. They ignored him, and in fact, at the, at the critical moment, they tied him even more tightly as they sailed safely past the siren song. Now, I told you that story to ask you this question. Why does Homer, or those before him, devise such a story? And why is it so lasting that the vast majority of you know the story 2,800 years after Homer wrote it down? Why come up with this story? Because it's a universal issue. We all get called by various sirens, right? There, There are situations where every person has a hard time staying on course. In those moments, we can only get through by being lashed to what is true and important, and the help of others makes a big difference. Let me show you a modern example. This is from our drama team. Take a look and listen.
1: Dad, this is a mall. this is a sporting goods store. I know, but I want to run in and look at the stuff. They have some real good sales. I want to go take a look. You know how much money you spent last time, and you know how mad Mom got. I I know she got mad, but look, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. That's not even possible. You're going to want to buy something. Uh, No, I'm not. Look, look, look. Here. You want my wallet? Fine. We're just looking. Fine. Oh, look at this. This is awesome. It's on sale. These never go on sale. They're getting no, rid of Dad. them. You don't need any of them. Yeah, I need this. No, this is don't. this would be awesome. Look. Look, look at this. Time. When is the last time you went hunting? I, this would be awesome. It's a clearance. It's no. half price. This is like they it's, never have these. It's 500 dollars Oh, just give me my wallet. Come no. on. Mom won't get mad. Just get no. good. Oh, look at this one. It's on sale. These never go on sale. These Gerber ones, these are the best ones ever. No, where would are, you use that? There will be zombies. Have you ever heard of zombies in real life? There might be. They there's talk about not, it all the time. There's not going to be zombies. Look, I could protect the family. Mom would love it. No. It's not that we're expensive. Not putting, we're not putting a giant. Let me have my wallet. Give me my wallet. No. Oh, come on. What are you doing in there? I'm right here. Look at this thing. It's awesome. Look, it's look, I can save. I give me my mom. No, we're getting this. Where would we put it in the backyard? It'll be great. No. You, you can play in it, too. No, look, I can go in. I can pull this down. You can't see me, but I, I can, can hear you. Can't. You can't see me. I
0: can't. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. <clears throat> Those who hold fast, those who bind themselves to the mast, avoid shipwreck. Now, open your Bible, with all that in mind, open your Bible to Acts chapter 2. Acts is in your New Testament, right after John, just before Romans. Go to Acts chapter 2, where we find an example even more impactful than Odysseus's. Acts chapter 2, let's read verse 42, our theme verse for this year. And they, the first Christians in that first church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. They lashed themselves to biblical truth. As we put it in your notes, um, you got a worship guide when you came in. Open it up. Look on the left side. You'll see this headline. The first Christians in the first ever church tied themselves to biblical truth. Now, I say tied to or lashed to because of the construction in the Koine Greek. Luke, the brilliant human author of Acts, used these two words. I me And that's how he communicated what we translate, they devoted themselves. In this setting, I mean proskatareo means to hold fast to something. To pay, this is probably the best translation, to pay persistent attention to something with which you are in connection. All right? And what they connected to, what they held fast to, was the apostles' teaching on the Bible course, that brings up a great question, one you are likely asking in your, uh, in your best Daryl Hall imitation. Man, what difference does it make? I mean, what does it matter if people hold fast to biblical truth, man? Great question. Thank you for asking. God answers that question in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Read it with me. You take the underlying text, Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. Talking about the gathered scriptures of God, Paul explains why we should study them. Holding fast keeps us on course. Look, look what we get from the Bible hope, endurance, encouragement. Raise your hand if you needed any of those this past week. If you needed hope, endurance, or encouragement, raise your hand. Yeah, me too. And I don't know what's wrong with the rest of you. Yeah. Every week, Every week this is the case, we are in need. Our church prays through situations that are very serious with people every week, both physical and spiritual situations. And then there are, more, there are the mundane things that, that also distress us in life, right? There's, there's the travel, the, the sick kid, the bills, the stuff that just beats you down. Don't act like you've never seen that, it happened twice on the way to church today, come on. How can we handle all this mess, all this barf of life? through the hope endurance and encouragement that is found only in the bible and if we don't turn there we're in real danger look look what paul warns timothy about first timothy chapter 1 verse 19 some have rejected these and suffered the shipwreck of their faith yeah i know it's horrible the context, by the way, the context shows that these these are uh, prophecies and a good conscience, each of which is revealed in the Scripture. In other words, God is saying that if you sail through life without engagement with the Bible, you have a heightened risk for shipwreck. I see it far too often. In fact, I see it all the time. People think they can build a great life without anything more than a rudimentary or an occasional dip into the Bible. And eventually, inevitably, what they build collapses, or to use Homer and Paul's image, without being lashed to the mast of Scripture, I am a candidate for a shipwreck. Tell me, those of you who know sailing, would you sail over a reef you don't know without a depth finder? Yes or no? No. Would you, think about this one, would you try to find a new friend's house in the winding, ridiculously Byzantine neighborhoods that are being built in Frisco, Texas without your GPS? Would you? Would you? No, you would still be looking, right? You'd be gone forever. So then tell me, if we won't do those things, why do we try to raise kids and work and and grow in marriage? Why do we try to do all the things we do without holding fast to God's word? No wonder Christians get divorced. No wonder churches choose cultural mores over the Bible. We've forgotten that engaging with Scripture is a life and death issue. Because the sirens always call. They always call us off course. In, in the Odyssey, the siren song showed a beautiful meadow of flowers and, and fields, but it hid, the song hid their eyes from the life-ending rocks that were between the sailors and the fields. Again, the issue is universal. We have so many false voices crying out, promising. Those false voices promise to solve all our problems, both serious and mundane. They promise everything will be better, but they never mention the rocks that will tear you apart. Turn your Bible over to 2 Timothy. Let's leave Acts chapter 2. We'll come back in a little bit for one quick dash, but I want to go to 2 Timothy. Let's see how God describes this issue there. Um, 2 Timothy is just before Titus, amazingly, right after 1 Timothy. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's see what God says about all this there. Let's pick it up in verse 13. Evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. People, other people, of course, none of you here, people get drawn off course by evil ones. People get drawn off course by imposters. Pornography promises release. It promises self-worth. But in reality, porn guts your life when you sail toward that island. Spending money deceptively claims to make you happy and important, but spending is actually a habit that works like a dead weight to suck you down into drowning debt. Criticizing others pretends to make one wise or funny, but truthfully, criticism just makes a person cynical, doesn't it? It just makes you prideful. I know, I know. Everybody else is doing these things. Everybody else is following these voices. Everybody else is is working toward these rocks. Everyone online or at work is sailing toward these shores. Sure, sure, everybody else is doing it, right? But in the words of your sainted grandmother who told you on her knee, that doesn't mean you should do it, right? I'm sure right now she's saying if everyone else jumped off a cliff, you wouldn't, would you? You Christians, you hold fast to Scripture, it is the only thing that will keep us on course. Only God's Word can grant wisdom, hope, endurance, endurance and encouragement. All God's people said? Amen. Not long ago, I was talking to my friend Hiram Sasser about this. Hiram wrote a great summary. Hiram's an attorney. This is his briefest brief ever. Um, Hiram wrote me, and he said, Wayne, there may be danger, there may be challenges, there may be defeats, there may be hardships, but those things don't define us. Only Scripture defines us. Amen. Only Scripture defines us. And self definition was a big part of Acts chapter 2. You know, the, one of the original purposes in holding to the apostles' teaching seems to have been a, a desire for self awareness. Those first Christians were desperate to understand who they were as members of this new thing launched by Jesus. So, what they did was they looked to the text with the apostles in order to learn about themselves. That's what Scripture does. Holding fast to the Bible informs me who I am. Look up here. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. John looks at Scripture, and he comes to the inescapable and incredible conclusion that all of us who are in Jesus are children of God. All humans are born in the image of God, but not all are children of God. Only those who by faith are in Jesus Before he passed away to heaven, Nabil Qureshi wrote a fascinating book, uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. I highly recommend it. In that book, Nabil gives space to uh, Robert Bowman, and he says this, Christians think of God as their father because Jesus taught us to think of him that way. At the same time, we see in the gospels that Jesus claimed to be God's son in, in a way that showed him to be absolutely unique. Jesus is uniquely the son of God, but he graciously invites us to share in his close familial relationship with the Father to become God's children," close quote. And that is what we are. We are God's kids because we are sealed in Jesus by faith in his death and resurrection. Looking at scripture, we are made aware of who we really are. This is what Mark Hall was examining. He wrote a moving poem, uh, "Who I Am" or "Who Am I?" is the name of it. Here's how it goes: "Who am I?" That the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to know my hurt. Who am I that the bright and morning star would choose to light the way for my ever wandering heart? Not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. I am a flower quickly fading, here today, gone tomorrow, a wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind. Still, you hear me when I'm calling. Lord, you catch me when I'm falling. And you've told me who I am. I am yours. I am yours. There may be nothing more important to understand. And this applies beyond the individual, right? This this applies to our joint endeavors as well. Look at this statement. Um, Collins and Porus, best-selling business book, one of the best-selling books of all time, built to last. They say this. Those who built the visionary companies, that's what they're discussing in, in that book if you haven't read it, those who built the visionary companies wisely understood it is better to understand who you are than where you're going. For where you're going will almost certainly change. It is a lesson as relevant to our individual lives as to aspiring visionary companies, Close quote. Now, I think the Apostle John might amend that to say it's critical to know who you are because that will ultimately determine where you're going, Right? Read with me all together. All of you who believe in Jesus, read it together. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, line by line. Let's read it together. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Amen, amen. A seminary friend of mine was chewing all this over with me. I had a few friends that I was talking with about this stuff this week. He sent me a beautiful note. Look what he said. He said, Wayne, this word about who I am in Christ has transformed the way I view other believers and myself. The Spirit has been showing me lately how much of my psychological identity is based on things of this world which are fleeting at best and sin at worst. It is a wonderful relief to be freed from seeking significance in earthly things and instead rest in Him, close quote. As my pal pointed out, holding fast to scripture accomplishes something else as well. It changes me. Uh, th- look at that, that's what we say on the right side of our notes, holding fast changes me. You're still in 1 Timothy chapter 3, right? Okay, look at the, look at the next two verses in uh, 2 Timothy, sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 3, look at the next two verses. We stopped at verse 15, now read 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What a treasure trope. Scripture profits me with teaching, with information I need. Now, it's by no means the only thing, because life is not merely an intellectual exercise. But being taught important information is profitable to me. It changes me. For example, aren't you glad that someone taught you as a child that you couldn't cross the street on your own? Aren't you glad somebody taught you that? Otherwise you wouldn't be here to hear this, right? Aren't you glad somebody taught you that you needed to cross with somebody older and wiser who could hold your hand and help you get across when you were a child? In the same way, it's super significant that Scripture teaches me that I cannot cross to God the Father on my own. I need the hand of my big brother Jesus to take me there and to guide me. He's the only way I can get over a cross to the perfect Father it's through faith in Him. I also hold to the Bible because it profits me with a wake-up call I need to look at the next word. You see, rebuke there in your in your text. Rebuke is a cold water slap in the face. That's what a rebuke is. It's a cold water slap in the face. When I was a teenager, my dad left for work a little before six o'clock uh, every morning. And so I asked him when when I was a teenager and I was on top of my wrestling game, I said, hey dad, I want you to wake me up uh, before you go so that I can go into school because I can get an entire wrestling workout in before school as well as the ones after and the miles I was running every night and it'll help me even more with AAU wrestling. And he said, okay, I'm proud of you, that sounds good. And so he did, he would dutifully wake me up every morning but being a teenage boy, what do you think I did? Man, I went right back to sleep. I was a polite kid, I'd sit up and say, hey thanks dad, and I would go right back to sleep. <clears throat> well, one night at dinner, uh, Dad brought this up. This had been going on for some time. And he brought it up and he said, hey, dude, you're being rude. I mean, you're, you're wasting my time, okay? I'm, I'm taking time to go in there. Then I'm having to go in again. You, just sleep. Obviously, you don't want to get up. Just sleep. You're not going to do it. I said, no, Dad, I'm, I'm so sorry. I really do want to get up. Please keep waking me up. Please, I really want to do this. He said, okay, all right, I'll do it if that's what you want. So the next morning, he dutifully woke me up right on time and I went right back to sleep. When he came back in for the second wake-up, this is how I was awakened. A glass of cold water right in my face, and it was cold. It was wintertime, and it was cold. I sat up in bed, spluttering, and I'm all wet, and I was pretty angry until I saw my dad's eye, and I saw the aggrieved look in his eye, and I stopped what I was about to say, and I said, I'm sorry, and he said yes. I said, thank you, sir, and he said, yes. (laughs) And he said, never again, and I said, yes, sir. He said, now clean this up before you go to school, and I said, yes, sir. And I never, kids, I never slept in again. Every time I would start to go back to sleep, I would remember the rebuke of the cold water in the face, and I got up out of bed every single time. That's the power of a rebuke. God's words also profit me with the correction I need. Now, the difference between correction or rebuke is a little bit easier to see in the original Greek. Um, let me show you this. Look up here. Eponorthosin, what we translate correction, is a whole lot more positive of a term in Greek than it sounds in English. It's a, it's a difficult translation. It's really a very positive term. This is the word Greeks used for, for, uh, for building buildings that were strong and straight. This is a word they used for teaching a, a teenager to maintain good posture, uh, which was important on the battlefield as well as in, in the school. Um, Greeks use this word, it's, it's different than a rebuke. This is a really positive word for training to grow up right. Years ago, I was a young kid, uh, young adult working at Pine Cove, and one weekend I was assigned, my assignment, was to be the helper driver and water boy for the famous, very famous teacher, Dr. J. Dwight Pentecost. He was speaking at our big men's conference. Just before the first session, Dr. P came into my office, and he asked if he could borrow my Bible. He said, I've got to go teach. Can I borrow your Bible? And I said, sure, yeah, here you go, Dr. P. And then I panicked. I said, oh, my goodness, did you lose your Bible? What about your notes? Have you lost your notes for the session? And he just smiled at me, and he chuckled, and he said, son, here's what he said, something I'll never forget. Son, I don't ever use notes or a Bible that I know really well when I teach. He said, that way, I'm always open to be shaped by fresh insights from God's Word. I hey, study and prepare, and oh my goodness, he did. I study and prepare, but I don't, get this now, I don't want to build the text, Wayne. I want the text to build me, close quote. Scripture prophets with teaching, rebuking, correcting, and the training we need and the training we need. Again, this is much clearer in the Greek as well. Paideon is a very famous Greek idea. In fact, I think it's one of their best ideas ever. Paideon is training the whole person. That's the Paideia proposal. That, that's why the Greeks invented the gymnasium. Did you know that? We've reduced it to the gym, a place where you just do physical workouts. That's not what the gymnasium was. It was a place for developing the whole person. That's what scripture does. Paideia. It it trains the whole person. The Christian school where where I served many years ago was founded by a board that was enamored with the idea of paideion. They loved this Greek word. So you know what they did? They crafted the motto of their school to be developing the whole person for the glory of God. That's not bad. So... When we hold fast to Scripture, we learn, right? We get water in the face, we get rebukes, we get built up straightly, and the whole person is developed. And all of this is to profit me so I can be fat and happy and successful for me, right? Is that what it says? Please say wrong. Read verse 17 again. So that the man of God may be complete, equipped for what, everybody? Every good work. We're here to do good works. We're profited so we can do good for others. We are blessed to be a blessing. We don't do good to earn our place as God's children. We're changed by Scripture so we can do good in Jesus because we are God's children. All God's people said? Okay. I know you're sick of textual analysis, but but go back, if you would, to the construction of that Koine Greek in Acts 2.42. Remember, Luke used these two words, I me proskatereo." to communicate, they devoted themselves. Remember, it signifies to hold fast to something, pay persistent attention to something to which you are connected. Now, this is so awesome. Look at this, super intriguing aspect of Luke's phraseology here. Luke's phrase there is a borrowed construction from a very famous historian, a guy named Polybius. Um, Polybius is someone that almost certainly, Luke and the Apostle Paul had read at length. He was read by every educated person in their day, and they were very, very highly educated people. Polybius was a great Greek historian who detailed the way that that Rome conquered all of the Mediterranean world. He wrote books, a number of books, describing how Rome rose to the lone superpower status by, you ready, I, me, proscatereo. They held fast, to their Roman values. That was his whole thesis. Pleas describes how the Romans did this. He talks about how Hannibal uh, destroyed in the Second Punic War all this Italian territory, but the Romans never despaired. Imi they held fast to the Roman values. They believed that they would win. They believed that they needed to stay the course. He talked about how all the setbacks they faced and all the problems they faced in Greece with Mithridates and other people. And Imi they just held tight. Okay, They held fast, last to the mass of the Republic. And that's why eventually, inevitably, they conquered the world. Now, do you see what Luke is doing? Look at this. Luke is using Polybius' favorite description, uh, construction to describe an even bigger conquest, how Rome and the whole world is going to be conquered by Christian thinking, by biblical thought. No matter how dark things get for these Christians, and in Acts 2.42, things are looking pretty dark. They're going to hold fast. That's how they're going to change the world. Christians in Acts chapter 2 learn to be lashed to the mast of biblical values. They hold fast to the apostles' teaching. That is, scripture written and explained. And that changes the world. Let me show you a simple summary. I would have loved to put this in your notes, but I couldn't fit it in there. Let me show you what happened because of our forefathers. I'm going to show you some things to which the Christians held fast. Biblical values to which they held fast. And then, and then the world in which they lived. How very, very different it was from those values and how the world changed to be like them. This is astounding. Okay, let's start with this one. Um, The Christians cared for wounded people. Acts chapter 20 tells us about that. There's a number of scriptures that talk about binding up those who are weak. That was not in any way the milieu in which they lived. In fact, there was a complete disregard of wounded people. No classical army gathered up their, their wounded during a battle. Nobody went back to try and get someone. There was no such thing as a hospital. There were oscleptoria, which were weird places of illicit drug use and strange whisperings by priests, but no real sense of caring for wounded people. And yet, because of your forefathers in Christ, because they stuck to biblical values, what does every single culture in the world now accept? That hospitals are a must. The very word hospital comes from the hospitalers, which were a group of Christians that were caring for people. They changed the world completely. Completely. How about this one marriage they valued marriage matthew 19 a number of other passages have this high value of marriage that was not the roman milieu there was wild license in marriage and yet now everybody in the world wants marriage so much so that even people who hate the bible and reject it want marriage you, that fascinating you changed the world you, the lord changed the world through his scripture and you and you people living it out Life. Genesis 127, from the very beginning, we're told this high value of life. That was not the case in Rome. Just think about gladiatory contests. Think about abortion, which was incredibly widespread in ancient Rome. So much so that their birth rate dropped to where they couldn't sustain their own way of life. Uh, There was was abandonment. Did you know this? Especially in the 2nd and 3rd centuries, Romans would, if there was a child they didn't like... They would just abandon them on the steps somewhere. Keep that in mind, kids. You better not good. They uh, they would just they would just abandon them. The Christians took these children in. No one had ever done that before. The Christians took all these children in. Now the whole world, the whole world thinks murder is wrong. So much so, let me give you two examples just to show you in your culture. What is the one guaranteed formula for a hit TV show? You're a detective solving what? Murder. Only murder, sadly, because it's the only thing everybody agrees is wrong right? Stealing, (laughs) but murder is wrong, so you do that. Let me give you a second example. Even people who want to practice abortion and, and believe that's a healthy, great thing to do, they desperately try to show that that is not a human being inside the mother's womb. Why? Because your values, the biblical values have permeated the world. They know murder is wrong. Isn't that fascinating? That was not the case at all. In Acts chapter 2, here's, here's a, another, I got, I got three more to show you. Law above government. These Christians believe, because of Psalm 22 and a number of other passages, that law is above any government. The truth of law is above any government. That was not their world. They were in a world of emperor worship. The, the law was the government, right? But now everybody, even if they're only pretending and giving lip service, everybody tries to say, oh yeah, yeah, the rule of law is primary, right? Let me give you two more. Uh, they believe that humans are the same before God. Colossians 3 talks about that. A number of Old Testament pastors talk about that. But that was not the case. Where they were were slavery and castes. Everything was about slavery and a caste system. But now people believe and are believing, even in parts of the world where it's never been the case before, that all are created equal. A number of you who are, who are Indians, um, you're not Indians like my Indian, but real Indians, um, you, you, you're seeing this happen. You're watching your culture change in your lifetime because of biblical values, that the caste system is somehow wrong. It's astonishing, but Scripture shows us it's wrong. Uh, Equal protection under the law, that's Exodus chapter 12. That wasn't the case in Rome. There were different rules for different classes, but now everybody talks about equal protection under the law. It is all this to say it is amazing. That is how they conquered the world, my friends. How did it happen? I me proskater They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That is how the world changes. All God's people said? All right. So, given that devotion to Scripture keeps us on course, right, it informs our identity, it changes us for the good, and it, and it conquers the world, I've got a question for you. Why don't we hold fast to the Bible? Why don't we? I'm not talking about other people. I'm talking about you and me. Why don't we stay committed to studying Scripture? I asked that question of a, a gathering of lead pastors Um, that I met with during my study leave week when I was working on this. Wonderful, wonderful men of God. I want to share with you their answers. They were speaking for themselves as well as their congregations. They gave me six basic categories of answers. Why don't we hold fast to scripture? Number one answer was uh, we don't understand it, we're intimidated by it. The Bible's intimidating, it seems confusing, it's difficult. Second answer they gave was um, we see it as a duty to earn God's favor and not a grace. Now let me explain this a little bit. What happens is I know I should be reading the Bible, but I turn it into a legalism, it becomes a checklist thing in my life, and I know that's not right, I know that's not scriptural, and so I I don't wanna become a legalist, so I I just quit reading it altogether. One of the guys had a great quote, I wrote this down. He said, when grace produces an appetite that rules never will, isn't that well said? Uh, third answer that we talked about was on oh, board with Scripture. I, I went to fourth grade Sunday school. I know all that stuff, right? I went to seminary. I think I know that all already. I don't need that. Uh, <clears throat> fourth answer busy schedules. I put a few together here lack of discipline, chronic stress. Uh, these things keep us from ever really holding fast to Scripture as a, as a discipline of grace. Uh, fifth answer. Uh, A number of the guys said this, discomfort with stillness and quiet. You notice how very uncomfortable we are with quiet? That was three seconds. You're uncomfortable right now. I think that's true. You have to have stillness and quiet to read the Scripture. And then the last answer was Fortnite. Um, (laughs) Now, (laughs) that list seems very accurate to me. I would just do this. I would add phone games and reading other books to the Fortnite answer. Uh, Can you do one quick thing for me? I think this will really help me know us as a group. I want to read through each of those answers, and I'd like you to raise your hand on any of them, and there's probably more than one that apply to you. I'm not concerned with individuals. I'm not looking at individuals. I just kind of want to see the totals. So if you could, I'm going to read through these. Raise your hand on the ones that relate to you. Um, I don't hold fast to Scripture because I, I don't understand it or I'm intimidated by it. Raise your hand. Don't understand or I'm intimidated by the Scripture. Okay, good. Um, I see it as a duty, the legalism thing, a duty to earn God's favor. I, I, I have a hard time seeing it as a grace. Raise your hand. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I get bored with Man, I, I know it. I think I know it. I mean, I know I don't, but I think I know it already, so I don't really study it. Yeah, Okay. Uh, BUSY SCHEDULES, LACK OF DISCIPLINE, CHRONIC STRESS, ANY OF THOSE? OKAY. FASCINATING. LIKE A LITTLE BREEZE CAME UP HERE ON THAT ONE. Um, (laughs) DISCOMFORT WITH STILLNESS AND QUIET. I I RELATE TO THAT ONE. OKAY. Um, Fortnite, PHONE GAMES, READING OTHER BOOKS. OKAY. GREAT. THANK YOU. THAT'S REALLY HELPFUL TO ME. I APPRECIATE IT. IT SEEMS WE CAN RELATE. BUT, THANK GOD, OUR TIME ON EARTH IS NOT UP YET, RIGHT? As long as we have breath, it is not too late to start growing in God's Word. As we ask at the end of your notes, what should we do about it? I have two suggestions for you. Two suggestions. Number one, first, do nothing by your own strength. Rely on God and ask His Spirit to empower and guide you. We're going to have an entire study on this in a few days, but we just need to make a mental note of this right now. Whatever I do, I do by the empowerment of God's Spirit. Second, Make a specific commitment. I'm going to give you a list of ones, and I, 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 I would encourage you by grace to choose one or more of these activities. I think they will really help you lash on to the steady power of Scripture. The first one I suggest is read one chapter of Proverbs every day. Read one chapter of Proverbs every day. I have seen this steady and shape lives in remarkable ways. In fact, uh, my old friend and our former elder, Dan Southern, uh, he did this every day, and I watched it change, Dan. In fact, um, before the Lord took him from us and uh, shocked us by taking Dan what we thought was far too early, Dan wrote a wonderful book, The Message of Leadership. Uh, He wrote this with Eugene Peterson's message uh, translation of the Bible. And what it is is the entirety of Proverbs in a very fresh and and fun transliteration. But it's also got a devotion, 31 devotions from Dan that are really good uh, that go along with different Proverbs just to help you learn. after Dan passed away, uh, his incredible better half, Lori Southern, uh, donated to you, to your church uh, a gross of these, these beautiful leather-bound message of leadership books, and, uh, and made them available. We can sell them at a very low cost, but it raises money for a ministry. And, um, and if you would like today, uh, they'll be for sale in the Book Nook, and Lori actually very sweetly is going to be there to sign them. So if you would like that, you can hustle to the Book Nook and buy copies copies of this. Read one chapter, whether you buy this or not, read one chapter of Proverbs a day. What should we do to hold fast? Choose one or more of these. Reclaim your commute is the second one. Another of our elders does this. Dan Cox does exactly that. Dan has a very long commute all the way downtown and back, and he decided a couple of years ago that he was going to reclaim that time, and so he just got the Bible on a CD. Actually, I think it may be on his, on his iPod, and, and he just listens to that... It is amazing how much less stress he communicates about his, com- his commute because he's enjoying scripture all the way down and back. Uh, one of our staff was inspired by this and tried to do the same thing. She found that she could not keep from turning her radio on so she actually ripped the radio out of her car. I don't necessarily recommend that, but it, it was a good idea, she did, she did that. Uh, believe it or not, I know this is very hard, take a deep breath. You can live without sports radio. You can, li- I, I know. You can live without your tunes, you can live without NPR, you really can. Reclaim your commute and listen to the word of God. Here's another step you can choose. Get a study Bible. There are many very good ones. I'd like to recommend three that I particularly find helpful. I really enjoy the one from which I preach, which is Gene Getz's Life Essentials Bible. I also really like the Archaeological Study Bible, and I recommend that one. And my all-time favorite is still the classic from 40 years ago, Ryrie Study Bible. So I recommend you get one of those. And here's what you do. Get your study Bible, and whenever you're ready for something new to read... Read the author's brief introduction of each of the 66 books. It's not going to take that long. Just read the introduction of each book. Get a feel for what the theme is, where it's going. And then spend a moment or two in prayer. And talk to the Lord about which one of those books seems to fit closest to what he wants to change in you right now. And then study that book. This is not hard. It's actually fun and fascinating. And when you start seeing yourself growing, it's glorious. Another choice you can make, join a Bible study or a life group. I cannot emphasize enough what a big difference this will make in your life. David Wade, who leads our pulpit team at this church, uh, wrote a great comment as we discussed this. David wrote me and he said, Wayne, I've been to seminary. I consistently do a daily devotional, but the most important and meaningful way that I can and will study systematically and faithfully is by being engaged with other men in a Bible study. If I don't have that impetus, I, I get sloppy, lazy, distracted, and I don't apply the text in the most beneficial way. Perhaps most importantly, in a Bible study, I pray for them to grow in Christ, and they pray for me. Close quote. If Dr. Pentecost needed to stay open to fresh insights, then I'm confident we do as well. If the incredible David Wade needs accountable study friends, surely we do as well. Amen? As you'll find on the Frisco Bible website, there are always lots. We are so blessed. There are always lots and lots of study groups available for those of us who live here in North Texas. Um, Our adult growth pastor, A.J. Rinaldi, especially mentioned these two to me when we talked about it this week. If you choose to join a study right away, please check these two out, Dr. Gleghorn's and John Cantor's study. The next possibility, use the Frisco Bible Church resources. There are two great resources you're going to find on our website. First is the wonderful curriculum that we have there on our website. You'll find it under the growth resources section. Um, we have this incredible team. It's a bunch of elders and retired pastors and other neural-wells, and wells um, And they get together. I'm kidding. They're wonderful people. They get together and they write this curriculum that is a study curriculum to go along with nearly every single sermon series that we do here at Frisco Bible. For groups or individuals, it's just excellent. Second resource you'll find on our website is a link to a, uh, a, a webpage called Bina. Bina is a Hebrew word. It's your fancy word for the day, boys and girls. On the count of three, you get to say Bina. One, two, three... Bina. Bina means insightful understanding. It means, it means wisdom gained by looking deeply into something. And, uh, and I developed this tool with the help of some other wonderful people. And the whole purpose of Bina is to help people get a handle on the Old Testament. That's where the, that's where the river's widest between our town and their town. And so I try to do an introduction that works through some things that will help every single uh, Old Testament book be more understandable as introductory material. If you go to the Bina website, you'll find the first five books are there right now and the others are coming very soon. So the Pentateuch is there, the rest are coming. All right, so that's what I recommend. Two things. First, do nothing by your own strength. Second, make a specific commitment. Read a chapter of Proverbs every day, reclaim your commute, get in a Bible study, join, uh, get a study Bible, get in a Bible study or life group, and use the Frisco Bible Church resources. But of course, you may have the struggle of regular weekend work or, or sports commitments. Do you know, when I meet with pastors, and I do that every week, when I, when I meet with pastors, the number one thing I hear them complain about these days is how sports is taking families away from church. And, and I keep telling them, this is nothing new. It's not, Look, arrest report, 1593. Municipality Edinburgh, names John Henry and Pat Rogie. Charges. Playing of the golf on the links of Leith every Sabbath, the time of the sermonses. Right? And they were thrown in prison for that. They were. Now, eventually the churches of Scotland learned to live with golf. In fact, some of the first maintained courses were laid out by a bunch of pastors. In the same way, you and I can make peace with the things that sometimes take us away from the times of the sermonses. That's not to say we should undervalue the study in our assembly. We should not but we can reclaim the interruption. Let me tell you how I think is best to do that. Um, there are two questions you can ask yourself and your family on the times when you have to miss the study in the assembly, and these really will help you reclaim the time. Question number one, ask yourself this. How can I or we do blank, whatever it is, this work trip, this baseball tournament, whatever. How can I or we do this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? It can be done. All things can be done unto God's glory, but it takes some thought and some work to figure out how. That way you're not just blindly going through the motions. Number two, when, not if, when, have I or we already scheduled time to watch or listen so we're caught up in the Scripture study with our church family? On those long drives to tournaments, I suggest we ask and answer those questions. Whatever we do, let's hold fast to the wonderful, life-saving Word of God. Amen? Amen? Let's pray about that together. Father, I ask your blessing on me and my brothers and sisters that we will hold fast to your word because it changes us and it changes the world when we do so. And we are in need and so is your world. In Jesus' name, we put ourselves before you. Amen.